Hi, I'm David, co-founder of Prodigy, and welcome to the Happy Teams podcast, where we interview digital leaders about how they're winning in the race to attract and retain top digital talent. Today, we're joined by Alex from Climbing Trees, an ethical digital marketing agency. Listen to him from Alex about how the environment and their B Corp status is shaping their initiatives to make their agency a great place to work. Hi, Alex. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Hi, chaps. So as is the theme of these, uh, of these podcasts, Happy Teams, where we're, we're talking about interesting companies and what they're doing to make their, their, their workplace uh, a nice place to be. Um, but before you, we get into that, can you just tell us a bit about Climbing Trees and your value proposition? Yeah, for sure. So um, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We're a performance ad agency and we're driven to ethically deliver results and trying to help companies that will shape our future world. And so we are a deep specialism in um, SEO, paid search, paid social and programmatic. And we work with clients ranging from charities like Greenpeace to large e-com companies like Olympus Cameras. But could you give us like a, a, um, a summary of things you're doing in your place to make it a fantastic place to attract and retain good tech talent? Yeah, for sure. And I think our approach to staffing, I think there were some emergent strands of an approach in the sort of earlier stage of the business, but they were really built out and doubled down on when we started going through the B Corp application process in 2020. And so that was that allowed me pause and a chance to really reflect on everything that we could do as a business to really try and look after our staff. So I think I'd always paid fairly well. I don't think I'd ever been a particularly bad employer. Um, but I think then we started thinking about other stuff that we could do to really support and encourage our team. So we know, for example, that 100% of our team last year have received um, training and personal development. Um, and so that's very important to, uh, to people. The majority of our team have received bonuses in the last year. We have put in place things like private health care that covers health um, and sort of dental care and that kind of thing. So if they're running into problems with the NHS, there is another course of action that staff can take. We, have, we gave our staff a cost of living pay rise last year. Uh, so across the team, everyone was treated equal, equally. So towards the end of 2022, when everyone was feeling the pinch, we tried to take away and alleviate some of that pain. Um, so I think that I think the thing is, it's just about you know in the world, there's quite a lot of um, things that are of concern, especially for staff. And I think as a business, we're able to provide some sort of safe harbour and actually try and take away some of those concerns. And I think that's the approach that we try and take so that we are thoughtful and considerate and really look after the team. So I can hear from what you're saying, whether it's the B Corp or whether it's the uh, sort of authentic, you know, caring about your employees, there is a, a great ethical angle or, or positioning to your to, to your agency, which, which is great to hear. Um, do you think that's, in today's, I mean, we're hearing a lot from from um, candidates and and people looking for, for for work in the digital sector. This is a great pull now. This is an important factor, isn't it, in in people making a decision about the place they want to work. They want somebody who's ethically and morally inclined, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is a generation entering the workforce, or there are more seasoned pros like us that have been around that actually want to work for companies that are actually trying to lean in 
and try and resolve some of the problems there are in the world. So whether that is the climate crisis and actually trying to mitigate a business's impact on that, whether it is leaning on to some societal problems like inequality, um, or actually trying to actually give back to the local community, I think having gone through this B Corp process, we will focus on all of these things. And for the first time, I think as an employer brand, we've gone from a place where recruitment was quite tough to actually attract people maybe five, ten years ago, whereas now we're getting a steady, a steady stream of talent through of a tier we've never had access to before where people actually want to come and work for us. And I think then in terms of retention and actually people staying here, things have never been so good. So, so far, so good on that, re that regard. And I don't think we're, I'm complacent and I don't think we're perfect by any means, but I think we're quite focused on uncovering all the opportunities for improvement as a business and welcoming those conversations with the team so we can actually try and create something that's a much uh, better place to work. Um, so has that had an impact on the calibre of, uh, of candidates that you're getting applying for the roles? Yeah, so definitely in terms of calibre, is so the seniority experience and the overall sort of quality of their like, prior work experience. And then I think there's also an attitudinal thing. So I think we are now attracting stuff. So we have, um, as a member of the team, that used to work for the World Wildlife Fund. And so there's a shared alignment in terms of his personal interests and then some of the things we lean into as a business above and beyond the services we provide. We've got a member, uh, the, the guy that used to be a member of Greenpeace as well. So there are, like, attitudinally, there's a synergy that operates at a deeper level, I think, as well. I mean, one of the things you mentioned when, when we last spoke is that how you have somebody a specialist, if I recall, uh, that has done a mental health and well-being, uh, almost like a session or assessment with, with all of your staff. How did that come about and was that was that something positive? Did, did people kind of, how did they react to that? Mm -hmm. So we're a, network, uh, we're a member of a great network of agencies called the Alliance of Independent Agencies. Mm -hmm. And they do a quarterly pulse check where we can benchmark our internal culture and how we're doing versus a subset of other agencies. And so we usually do really well in a lot of things, like are people proud to work from us? Do they feel trusted? Do they feel empowered? Are they happy with our return to work policy after the pandemic and these kind of things? The one area where we're consistently weak as an agency, but then also I think the industry is as a whole as well. So I'd be actually benchmark a little bit higher than this group. And we asked the question about how would you rate your mental health and wellbeing between zero and 10. And so in the, you know, a year ago, six months ago, some of the team were answering three, four, five. Wow. And so when, when I think about that as a, as a, as a human, as a, as a father, if I thought about my sons feeling like that, I'd be sort of heartbroken. And with the, with the team, I don't think I'm like the, the, their parent or anything, but to have team members operating with that kind of complexity to sort of get through, I don't think it's solely responsible to the business. I don't think climbing trees is, solely responsible for that situation so they could have personal have a care absolutely mm. but there's things like it could be personal circumstances could be relationship breaks down there could be the cost mm. of living crisis there could be any number of other factors going on i think but work is part of it and so what we did i know uh, the most amazing lady called steph hill who has a consultancy called happy headwork and she ran a six-week program that the whole team went on uh, so from the most junior people in the business to the most senior, where she took them through about, um, and it's a, a personal life and private life thing as well, uh, and 
sort of personal life and business life thing as well, where she was able to help people reassess how they relate to certain like situations in life, how they relate to stress, how they relate to pressure. And then to go through this on a six-week program, and then what we've done is, as a result of that, there's um, the opportunity for all staff to have three one-hour, one-on-one coaching sessions with Steph as well. So if there is stuff that's actually making people unhappy in the personal regard, they can unpack that with a fully trained professional and they can get some positive sort of um, uh, input that's above and beyond anything that I'd be able to give. Because I think I'm surprisingly traditional. I think my approach to most things is just, well, get your head down, work harder, crack on a bit, push, push a little bit more. And yeah. sometimes there's some matters where I don't think that's an appropriate response. Indeed, and I, I like some of the things that came out out of this. Uh, I believe you said something like you allow some of your staff to have like a recharge day when they're feeling stressed, which is different from holidays, right? Absolutely. So that's something that's new in place, and we've, we're very the, the ink is still wet on the actual policy. Um, and so I don't believe it's actually been um, announced to the team. But the framework of that for the recharge days is. We all know what it's like working in agencies. There's times where high pressure, you might have clients have something going on where you have to deliver, you might have a, a new client pitch, you might have other stressful situations going on. And sometimes between the job and clients, staff can get quite sort of compacted. So what we've tried to put in place, and that's what the recharge days are, this policy where people will be allowed three days where they'll be able to you know, take three days off and just not particularly give a reason. So it could be, you know, they just want to say, I just need some time, I'm going to take the day off, I'm just going to, you know, chill out, take it easy, and then get back to it fresher tomorrow. And it sounds quite a thing, it's almost like, well, we think about what happens if people abuse it. But we have this policy, we've got a flexible work policy as well, and what underpins these policies is, don't take advantage of this policy because if you do there's more, a little bit more uh, anglo-saxon language we use in how we frame it internally but don't take the piss basically that's what we say and yeah. so if you do it could potentially be taken away for you and all of your teammates as well and but, so what we find is our staff are really conscientious and what we hope to be able to do is actually look after them so that if they are getting a little bit burnt out and they do need just to switch off recharge and come back out fresh tomorrow we've got that facility now Finally, i'll give you some feedback on somebody who's doing something similar they call it pillow days um and it was somebody who brought this from his previous agency to the new agency they're in as head of operations and they're in the previous uh, job they found that by giving people two pillow days a year where they don't you know they just said i want to stay in bed today i'm not feeling up to it and they don't have to explain and it's not holidays uh, the amount of sick days as a direct result has decreased massively so people normally will just call in sick when they feel that way so there yeah. was a, a clear tangible benefit for giving people this flexibility and allowing them to be honest about not being up to the task once or twice a year which i don't think is unreasonable right Absolutely, because there are sprints at being busy. And I know there's times where some of my team are just going all in. I've had, you know, I had two team members who we were working on an RFP. Um, they were both on annual leave and they chose to work three days whilst on annual leave to deliver this work for this RFP. Mm. And so we came to an arrangement on that. But you get, a, you get a sense of when people are really, really pushing hard and you want to be able to have the facility to actually allow them just to recuperate and you know mm -hmm. look after themselves. 
Yeah, that's great. And um, you also mentioned about this really amazing project that you're you're working on to plant a million trees by 2023, 20, sorry, 2030. Can you yes. uh, tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so there's a super bright guy called Marcus Hemsley that runs Fountain Partnership up in Norwich. And I think through the pandemic, he established this organisation called the Million Tree Pledge. And so it's about businesses trying to step up and then plant a million trees. So the theory behind planting trees is trees sequester carbon. And yeah. so we're at the moment when we're recording today, you've got like um, like dreadful fires going on in Greece, in uh, Corfu, all over uh, the Mediterranean. And so the theory behind that is you've got global warming is affecting climate so that's why the the fires are more prevalent so what planting trees does is they sequester carbon so they draw carbon out of the atmosphere and so to do it at scale i think for us as a business based on our calculations we need to plant about 700 trees a year to offset the carbon that we emit as a business through travel through office through systems through that kind of stuff and so for me signing up to the million tree pledge was actually standing up and saying we're taking this stuff really really seriously we'll be able to we're actually taking it so seriously we can deploy a large amount of capital to actually get these trees planted and i think so far we're at two hundred and sixty-seven thousand, and so that seems wow. to be growing each year um so i think by the end of this year we'll hopefully push um be pushing four hundred thousand, and then i think it's um you know there's some companies there's um uh, Crystal, who do really green web hosting, they have committed to planting a billion trees. Wow. <laughs> which is beyond my purse and my sort of comprehension. But I think so there is a whole group of businesses doing this. And I think overall, the net positive, there's going to be worse legacies for businesses to have than planting a million trees, right? Yeah. Out of curiosity, whereabouts would these trees be planted? So, so far, we've planted them in places like uh, Madagascar. There's some mm -hmm. been planted in the UK, um, but I think the vast amount of trees are planted overseas and they're sort of done in a really thoughtful way so they don't sort of damage natural habitat um, where they are not creating sort of monocultures of just thousands of the same species of trees. So it's been really thoughtfully done in a way that's in tune with some of the best thinking of the day, I think. That's incredible. Alex, uh, we talked about all this this stuff that, we, uh, that you guys are doing. I'm, I'm curious to hear what other things that you do that are related more to kind of giving a voice to your people uh, and to your team and you know allowing them to sort of have a say in the decision making process uh, that sort of kind of inclusiveness how, how do you go about doing that is it structured is it just informal so it's it's typically a lot of stuff here is very informal um we have a place in we have a weekly team stand up where we go through um, different parts of the business and sort of everyone's able to talk about what's going on for them in their role and how things are going. And I think at the end of that, we always talk about, are there any questions or are there any suggestions for the business? And I think people are just quite keen to get on with, we do that Monday morning, so no one particularly ever asks anything, but it's just on there every week. Um, I think then we've got a um, sort of senior leadership team. And so that's where people that are um on that team we get to talk about things in quite a frank way it's quite a candid way and very often what we find is in any business there's imperfections there's things that aren't quite as awesome as they should be and so we're able to hold those conversations in public and look at them look at a situation from many different angles 
and then we don't rush to make a decision, but we'll form a um, a consensus in terms of this is what we're going to do. So we've done sort of those things to, to try and enable and encourage the team to facilitate. I think as part of that B Corp application process, we set some diversity targets and we had a long way to go in terms of wanting to get to 50-50 split in terms of men, women, and then looking at um, ethnic diversity as well. We're based up in North Essex at the team when we started the process, we were six white men. I think there's 16 of us now, and we have, I think, 37 and a half, maybe 40% women. In the senior leadership team, it's 33% women. We've got no gender pay gap. And I think what I realise is my ability to understand what uh, our women need from me as a business leader is limited. I'll probably come up with something misogynistic like bring some flowers in and paint the loose pink or something like that. And so what we tried to, I did a lot of introspective thought about this and I thought, well, am I just a really horrible person that's built this culture that's really toxic and unwelcoming to women? And I don't think I am. And I, I did a lot of reading about it. And there was an amazing book um, called Invisible Women. And I think my takeaway from that book, it was quite profound in terms of how it shifted my thinking and allowed me to understand some of the challenges that women have in business. And um, I think a lot of them are men do the thinking. And so this book talks about um, bus routes. And so the bus routes in some cities are mapped out um, according to the male commute to work versus what is in the world, the female sort of run where they go to school, they drop the children off, they'll go shopping, they'll have some chores to run, they have to go to a chemist and then get back to the school and it's not mapped out for that way. So it put, makes it really difficult for women to actually do what they need to. And so, and that's because women aren't included in the planning of bus routes. With car seat belts, they, well, they just took a male uh, crash test dummy, reduced it by 70%, rather than actually build a female crash test dummy and then anatomically map it out so that there's important stuff that women have going on that men don't. And so what was happening is more women were dying in car crashes than men. There was oh, med wow. medication, right? They had um, the female dose was just the male dose, lesser percentage. So rather than actually thinking about it. And so taking on board the learnings from those sort of things, what we did is we established a women's council where all the women in the business meet, I don't meet with them, and then they can talk about stuff they'd like to see introduced to the business to make their experience better. And so we're thinking about stuff like um, childcare vouchers, so you can get you can sacrifice some of your salary and get childcare vouchers. That we're getting improved maternity and paternity pay for the initial phase of um, when you uh, become a parent. We're doing a thing about um, if our team have been here for two years and then they're expecting a baby, we're going to give them a thousand pounds because you know when you have your first children, it's an absolute financial disaster. And so we want to try and take that pain away and actually turn the current thing about, you know, staff members come to you expecting children. It's usually you, the business is quite self-centered in thinking about, oh no, it's a nightmare for us. Where are you going to go? Are you going to come back? What we're trying to do is you've been a great team member for two years, you're having a family, let's make that as easy as possible for you and trust that you'll come back and join the team and then, you know, when you're ready to. That's really nice. Amazing. And I think um, things like things like this, you know, they, they, they definitely go a long way um, in terms of actually getting people's loyalty and, and happiness and hopefully reflecting and doing a great job for, for the clients. And that kind of 
on that tone, what what things do you do to measure employee satisfaction? So we have this people pulse, and that is the main thing that we utilise. And so it goes through all of these different questions. Um, it's not always good news. Um, you know, sometimes there'll be, you know, you'll get, you know, do you feel trusted? How clearly do we communicate the vision for the business? How clearly do we talk about our plans for sustainability or diversity, equity and inclusion? And so what I do, we get that on a quarterly basis. And so I will then present that back to the team. So this is how we're doing as an agency versus this other subset. And then there is, if there is something like our overall strategy for the business in terms of where we're going, which I'm very clear on, but sometimes I might not take the time to actually explain that to some of our newer members of staff, some of the more junior members of staff who maybe I don't speak to on a regular basis, they might not hear this kind of thing. So I'm able then just to you know, bring to life what, what we're doing and how we're trying to move things forward. If there was to be one thing, and one thing only that you can pick up and choose that you were doing, that you're doing now, but that you wish that you had started a few years ago or a lot earlier out of all of these things that we've discussed today and others, what, what would that be? I think I'm a technical founder. And so I like to think that I'm really great at doing SEO, paid search, paid social. Although actually I don't actually do it these days. So my team are much better and they're probably much better than I ever was, but don't tell them that. Um, and so because I was a technical founder, I was always involved in that technical stuff. I wasn't involved in, I didn't have the time to really think about where we're going as a, as a business, what our targets are as a business. And the whole thing with B Corp in terms of those five pillars that B Corp covers. And so I think the, I've answered your question with bringing three things into play. But I think I'd probably say stopping delivering the work and starting thinking about how we can actually drive the business forward and stepping into that sort of leadership role. I think I could have done that a lot, lot sooner. So working on your business as opposed to in it. Absolutely, yeah. But I think that's pretty common. And it was the same with us as well when we had our agency. I mean, I think it's also equally i think it's a mistake if you come and start a brand new business from scratch and you create all these arbitrary plans and arbitrary targets which aren't actually based on anything you kind of you need to live in the business and keep it alive for a little bit before you can actually start looking at you know structuring the leadership team and all that kind of stuff because in the early days you just got to survive absolutely and i don't know what the stats are in terms of businesses that don't make the first year or three years and that kind of thing and so it was just almost just head down, working hard, trying to get through that part where you're, it's that existential crisis about is it actually something that's going to actually live on? And then with a bit of confidence, I think we're in that place now. And so now it's about trying to more aggressively push forward. And um, you've already mentioned um, some amazing stuff there that you're planning on implementing, like gifting parents the money for when they have a new baby. and um, But you also mentioned about you'd like to do carbon offset for all of your search campaigns. How, how would that work? So, again, with the B Corp process, it was the first time we started thinking about our environmental aspect um, impact as a business. I hadn't thought of it before then. I just sort of thought, we're not like Mr. Burns tipping <laughs> nuclear waste into a river locally or something like that. I just, yeah. I just wouldn't have thought we had one. But I think through understanding that everything we do has impact, it's like we've got a company trip later on this year. To fly will be £1,500 for the team, um, but it'll be massively carbon polluting. To get the Eurostar will be twice that, but it'll be 85% less emissions. So we're going to go with the Eurostar. 
but there's still an impact with that. So everything we do has impact. And um, we ha there's different classes of carbon emissions, scope one, scope two, scope three. And scope one is always panic whenever I have to talk about these publicly. So I thought, I think, do I actually know this stuff? Because I've just learned, I'm autodidact, so I'm just self-learned. But scope one is if we had a gas boiler on site and we we're boiling gas here and emitting carbon, that would be our scope one emissions. We don't, so we have none. Scope two is the electric we buy into the office. And so we could be on a renewable tariff or a coal powered tariff. We're on a renewable tariff. Um, and so there's, we have negligible scope to emissions. So all of our emissions are in scope three. And so they are made up for us as an agency, three things. One is um, the suppliers that we use, so our accountants, the marketing people, that kind of thing. Two is the systems we have like Slack and Skype and Harvest and those kind of things. And three is then our, um, the money that goes through the business. So we have about 800,000 pounds worth of media spend that goes through the business. We've got about four or five million pounds worth of media spend that our clients pay direct to Google. So that goes through their scope through emissions, not ours. So that 800,000 contributes massively to our carbon footprint. So we work with a company that has a uh, equation that then um, looks at all of our spending. And so we know that as a business in 2022, we emitted 3.69 tonnes of carbon per person in the business. Sorry, say that number again. That sounds excessive. 3.69 tonnes. Wow. And so that that's actually good. reduced from 5.5 in 2019. So it's going down and to the right. Um, but at a point, we're going to hit a plateau. And so we're reliant on ad platforms like Meta, Microsoft, and Google to be carbon uh, neutral. Mm. So what we want to try and do is um, we've got a number of options on the table where we're thinking about, we'll know for a client of ours, um, Olympus cameras, for example, 50 million ad impressions per year on Google. We'll then be able to look at the markets they're in. So the energy infrastructure in France, Germany, or the UK is going to be different. And depending upon how it's built, it will be more carbon intensive or less carbon intensive. And we'll then be able to say, okay, those impressions uh, times by the market they're in equals this many uh, kilograms of carbon emitted. So that's where we want to get to. We have been uh, on a merry trail of speaking to um, authors in Ireland, academic people at the Southampton University, professionals in the company about actually trying to model this equation. And that journey has actually taken me to speak to Google's in-house team that are uh, doing sustainability in Mountain View um, out in California, where what we want to be able to do is just accurately do it. And I think if we work out an external um, equation, it'll actually end up being wrong what we want is to actually work with accurate data so that we can say as a line item to our client schedules, okay, so this is the carbon that you've um, emitted. So we could have a um, offset partner so they can offset it for like 50 pound a ton or something like that, um, or plant trees. And we can start in, have, introducing this into a conversation with our clients because on the paid search side of things, we can't do that. With Programmatic, we've got a partner that reduces carbon emissions by about 17% per campaign because they work with some really smart tech that sits behind that. We're working with a German SEO provider where we can work out if you've got a website that emits this much carbon at the beginning of an SEO project, and then we optimize images, we reduce unnecessary pages, we minify JavaScript, 
we can then monitor the carbon footprint of that website going down as a result of our SEO initiatives. So the, the services we offer as a business are aligned to what we're doing. Incredible, really incredible. I mean, just the idea of measuring the carbon footprint of each search effectively and each impression, that sounds like a, a monumental task, but I'm sure it's doable because it's all quantifiable. Absolutely, and there's all kind. There's fantastic. Uh, the company called Whole Grain Digital have a website carbon calculator, so you can plug in any website, and it will come back with a um, estimation of the carbon um, output of that website. And so it will absolutely come to the search industry. I'm not really that interested in being the first that does it. I just want to be um, part of a change that comes through into the search industry, whereby. You know, because if we're going to avert the climate, if we're going to, you know, roll back the problems that we have with the climate, it'll be initiatives like this that will do a small part of making that change. Yeah, and everyone, if everyone does it, I mean, big part of it is people not knowing, first, the impact, and second, what to do about it. And if you bring them that information, you like, if essentially your clients will have the possibility to say, you know what, actually, I, I want to do something about it, even if it's a, an optional line item in their invoice, but ultimately, you know, it's doing enough of these small things that will make a difference. But bringing it back to subjects that we're talking about today, I can't exaggerate how much this will have an impact on your employees' sense of doing something good when they go to work. I, I think that would, be, that would be an amazing pull, for sure. And I, and I think it is, because if you've got team members that are particularly switched on to sustainability or environmentalism, if they've got climate concerns, if they've got a young family, you can work for a business that's just business as usual, not really thinking about this kind of stuff, or you can work for one that's actually trying to lean into it. And I haven't got all the answers. We're just a funny little agency up in North Essex. But I think we're one that is actually trying to be authentic and trying to do the right thing and you know try and advocate for doing business in a better way. And I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think we've got all the answers and we're certainly not perfect either, but I think we're just trying to scratch that itch and try and you know, push things along. Alex, thank you so much. That was really fascinating. Um, it seems like you're doing some great stuff there and like of all of these things, it's just, it's a journey. Uh, and uh, yeah, but we wish you all the best with, with all of these endeavors. Thank you, Thanks. Alex. Thanks both for having me on, I really appreciate it.